Hello there and welcome to the Tech Means Business Podcast. This is a special edition of the podcast uh, in that I was privileged to host a fireside chat for Nginx recently. Uh, it was part of the company's APAC-focused Sprint 2.1 event. So without much further ado, here's the event as it happened. Uh, there'll be links in the show notes for the video version and information about Sprint 2.1 uh, that takes place or took place, depending on when you're listening to this, on December the 7th and the 8th, 2021. Enjoy. Hello there. Welcome to the Nginx virtual conference Sprint 2.1. Uh, which is kind of an offshoot, if you like, from the Global Sprint 2.0 conference, recordings of which uh, are now available online. Version 2.1 is dedicated to the Asia-Pacific region, uh, with content specifically in Japanese, as well as Chinese and English. I'm Joe Green. I'm a technology journalist who writes for techwireasia.com, and I also present the Tech Means Business podcast. And on this rather chilly British winter morning, it's my pleasure to host this informal fireside chat about Nginx and Nginx Plus uh, as it's found in production settings. Um, The rough title, I guess, is uh, Service Construction Brick by Brick, Containers, Microservices and Secret Source. My own history with Nginx, I guess, started um, with becoming aware of the platform really as an alternative to the Apache web server uh, in the late 2000s. Um, And when I started running servers of my own in my own um, home test lab, I began to use Nginx as a simple reverse proxy to direct services to the the right box on my LAN uh, from a single outside uh, public IP address. However, I doubt that you all you all out there have such limited experience as me. Uh, and I know that the people listening and watching today are using Nginx professionally uh, out there. There will be, for instance, systems administrators, developers, IT managers, whole SecOps teams, uh, networking professionals uh, of all flavors and varieties, uh, and a few application infrastructure teams as well, I'm sure. Now, since I started using Nginx, its, its capabilities have developed. Uh, and now, of course, it's used uh, for all sorts of different things, uh, an API gateway, uh, WAF, uh, web application firewall, uh, load balancers, and much more. In fact, it's, the, it's becoming really the go-to framework to support all manner of modern services and applications, something we'll be learning about today. Um, buzz phrases, for instance, I'm hearing at the moment around Nginx, uh, and in particular in this space, uh, might include, for instance, containers, gateway management, the cloud, uh, scalability, elasticity, service mesh, uh, Kubernetes, uh, container deployments. And that's really a lot to get through there. Um, so I guess we'd better get on. Um, like many open source projects, of course, Nginx supports its developers by means of a paid tier, in this case, Nginx Plus. Um, And that tier adds functionality and support uh, to the open source platform. But of course, one of the things we need to do today and we will be doing is clarifying the continuing status of the open source project, uh, the free to use tier of the platform, as well as exploring some of the capabilities of the Plus paid for tier. 
I'm delighted to be joined by three guests today, uh, two of whom are experienced systems engineers with real-world experience using Nginx, both in open source and in the plus variants, and a representative from Nginx himself, a very experienced engineer. Uh, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves by way of a bit of background, if I may. Uh, but first, my first guest, Burzin Engineer, who's co-founder and CRO, Chief Reliability Officer of PhonePay. Um, Burzin, tell us a bit about yourself, if you would, please. Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm Burzin Engineer. I'm the Chief Reliability Officer of PhonePay. PhonePay is a five-year-old fintech company which is an app-only financial payments company in India based on the a proprietary Indian network called the Unified Payments Interface. That's how we started. Today, PhonePay services around over 325 million users. And on a yearly basis, the total processing volume of the money that flows through the PhonePay network is around $500 billion. And Sumit Malhorta, who's CIO of Times Internet. Same for you, please, if you wouldn't mind uh, just giving us a few words of introduction. Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm the CIO for Times Internet. Um, Times Internet is a digital arm of Times Group. It's one of the leading digital publisher uh, company. Um, but we have grown and we are a, right now a wide consumer platform serving over 110 million users daily and 500 million users monthly across a spectrum of consumer needs. Um, we are currently present in media and entertainment, um, uh, personal finance, uh, real estate, uh, restaurant space, um, and many others. Um, and um, I'm responsible for infrastructure availability and performance of um, their digital presence. And finally, uh, we have Rob Whiteley, who's general manager of Nginx, uh, now part of F5, of course. Rob, uh, a few words about yourself. Hi, I'm Rob Whiteley. I'm the general manager of the Nginx business unit here within F5 and excited to be here. Rob, first question to you. It's the elephant in the room, I guess, really. There's a big concern um, amongst users that anything open source really, uh, as soon as it gains traction and becomes as wildly successful as Nginx is, is certainly becoming, a paywall lands and thumps down in front of us and the open source element um, gets maybe even deprecated. Can you help alleviate those fears uh, amongst the Nginx community? Yeah, if I were certainly a developer today, I would be concerned that I'm trying to prototype or develop a new application for my company, uh, suddenly a feature I was dependent on from a project I chose in that application stack suddenly moved behind a paywall, which is why I think for us, the most important commitment we wanna make to the community um, is that first of all, as a developer, you will always be able to use Nginx open source in production. So tripping over into a production environment is not what suddenly uh, makes you having to have a support contract or commercial features. Instead, what we want is developers and small teams use Nginx, and it's our commitment to create features for that community. However, we acknowledge that once the application is moved into a production environment, there is a separate DevOps team or site reliability engineering team or platform team that will have additional requirements to scale that application. 
And so that's where we want to have features. And so we'll look at things like, how do you scale the app? How do you secure the app? How do you get additional governance for access controls? How do you get observability for troubleshooting? Those are very operational capabilities. And so regardless of the Nginx project that you adopt, those four things I just rattled off are on the commercial side. Everything else will be not feature restricted and not pay restricted so that developers can be confident in building the next generation of applications. Thank you very much. Um, and Berzin, if I can ask you the, the first question, if I may, um, PhonePay, the fintech company, you're rapidly expanding. Uh, you mentioned some great metrics there. Scalability is going to be important to you guys, obviously. Um, PhonePay was already using Nginx in its open source flavor and its pure open source form. And that was going on for a long time. Why back in the day, why did you choose Nginx um, as your uh, chosen provider? Thank you. That's a very fundamental question for us. Right? So when we started, we knew that we want to service all of India and India is over a billion people of which at least 500 million people have a some flavor of a, a smartphone and we are an app only company right so with aspirations like that our goal was to be able to use a uh, a highly distributed uh, scalable architecture and for that we chose the apache mesos uh, as our uh, container framework and in order to front something like that we had to choose a reverse proxy and Based on at least the experience that we have, you know, Nginx was clearly the winner in that front, at least the open source layer of Nginx. So today, all of our uh, reverse proxies for all incoming traffic that run in our DMZ, which is our demilitarized zone, they sit on Nginx servers. And uh, in a day uh, per second at peak, which is between 5 to 7 p.m. in the evening, we do around uh, 600,000 requests per second on Nginx. So um, a question uh, to Sumit, Times Internet, um, your resources that you use to power your service, they're going to be subject to enormous changes in demand. Um, now, initially, I know that you were using hardware load balancers. Um, what was happening with those um, during peak times? Yes, we were running plethora of devices from different OEMs, um, be it software load balancer as well as hardware load balancers. Um, um, there were different sets of features which we were using, um, including compression, SSL offloading, WAF. Um, and we had about like 3,500 odd endpoints, about at peak about 1.5 million transactions per second. Um, but most of this traffic was HTTPS um, with really small um, transaction size. So our average size was about 4 KB. Um, at this particular workload, the traditional hardware load balancer performance is like one-tenth or one-twentieth of what they generally prescribe, um, especially when you enable WAF with um, like a long list of rules. It probably becomes one-fiftieth of what they actually publish on their um White, white pages. So, um, so the biggest challenge for us was that we did not knew their true capacity. And uh, considering our applications are dynamic and content 
um, content size um, and content de- content type actually can change any point in time depend on depending on what kind of content is being consumed. Uh, capacity of the appliance will continue to degrade or improve over a period of time. And uh, troubleshooting does just like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So, um, so it, it was like a any issue which generally becomes a troubleshooting nightmare for us. Um, the bigger problem related to troubleshooting was um, the products are closed source, so um, so the stringent RTOs and RPOs are uh, digital products demand um, typically not be supported by a traditional support model of L1, L2, L3, and then staying on calls with support for uh, many hours. Um, culturally, our organization, uh, the engineering team, have been more comfortable in um, getting hands on the technology and trying to see how they can tear things apart and deal with these issues themselves as opposed to uh, getting the call with OEM. So we felt that an open source is a better fit for us. Um, and it's not just that it gives me more control. Um, Consume even using NGINX open source uh, in our environment at very large scale. Um, we felt that the software stack maturity of NGINX is way better than these traditional appliances, which generally, which generally start behaving weirdly uh, every time they release a new firmware update. We had like over the last four or five years, some of which are like when we use these appliances to this scale, uh, we have at least encountered 10 to 12 uh, bugs which we have reported to OEM and um, um, which obviously not just takes too much time in debugging, troubleshooting, and fixing. Um, it's also that there's a chance that when you update a software uh, next time, um, you end up, there's a chance that that upgrade might mess up and we might be back to the scale one because these are generally traditionally uh, private builds. And lastly, obviously, these, these appliances are too costly. Um, at, at a busty scale at which we operate, um, provisioning for this much large capacity is like a really, really, really big cost for us. So, Sumit, thank you for that. What you've said actually is a bit of a, um, a litany about a litany of problems with uh, with proprietary hardware. And you mentioned, you know, calls to uh, OEMs, and you mentioned bug reports that kind of disappeared into the ether. I know that when you switched to Nginx, obviously one of the problems might have been, I guess, that you were getting all the rule sets out of these proprietary pieces of hardware and transferring them into uh, onto the Nginx platform. Um, how did you approach that, and what actually happened in practical terms? So um, the migration was not a big deal for us. Um, we actually have an orchestration platform um, which allows our engineers to provision um, VIPs or uh, endpoints or v- load balancers um, directly uh, in a self-service mode. Um, so most of the rules and configurations which we had done uh, was done through this orchestration layer. So we actually had the configuration in our database in whatever format which had we had stored. So um, uh, so when we moved to Nginx Plus um, about two and a half years ago, and um, and over a period of time we migrated about three thousand odd applications, um, it, it was it was not a big. Um, big problem for us because since we had everything in the database, we could just use the same um, details and build a use our orchestration layer to provision the similar endpoints on Nginx Plus. Um, the only thing challenge which we have seen is related to uh, WAF rules, um, which because uh, traditional appliances uh, mostly rely on auto learning mode. 
um, uh, as opposed to a weighted index model, which uh, Nginx Plus uses. So you're not able to migrate um, WAF rules, but uh, rest of the problem, things were easier. Considering we actually follow a pod-based architecture in which Nginx Plus environment scales ups and downs, um, it's like a true elastic load balancer. Um, now I think we can reach um, finance SLA at a fraction of our earlier cost. Yeah, it sounds like good outcome. Um, Berzin, uh, you were getting, obviously, results from Nginx, but then you decided um, to um, do what many companies around the world do, which is to move on to uh, Nginx Plus, which is obviously the paid-for tier. What was behind that decision uh, for you guys? I think part of it was the scalability, ease of operational use, and actually having support of a product. These were all the minor reasons I wanted to get those out of the way first. We are very happy Nginx users for over four years. You know, we grew the company from zero users to uh, you know, over 300 million users on that platform. But the complexity of having two separate load balances, one, the Nginx acting as our reverse proxy, followed by a load balancer, which is the dynamic load balancer that listens into our Apache Mesos infrastructure for dynamic endpoints as they are created. Worked well for a while, but just like everything else, you know, we try to optimize. And when we look at that setup over a period of four years, we realized that we were using 2x the number of servers we needed to do the same job. Right. So by combining the dynamic load balancer, which was a Go-based load balancer we were using, and Nginx into one, right? We could have done that with the open source Nginx, but then we actually tried it with the open source, but the, there is no API that's, that doesn't exist in the open source version. So every time there was a new endpoint, you need a restart, which would mean that you know, for that second, connections are interrupted. But with the Nginx Plus model, we were able to write a service or actually modify an existing service that somebody was nice enough to write out there called Nixie. And uh, we were able to now completely rid ourselves of the intermediate load balancer, which was only serving the purpose of being the dynamic listener for our container infrastructure. So by doing that, we, you know, when you have less machines, it's less operational overhead. Not having two load balancers means faster response times to our end users and simplicity for the staff who's maintaining that infrastructure. And so we, those were some of the reasons why we moved to Nginx Plus and uh, no, it's been a good journey for us. I mean, there's, from a usability standpoint, it looks and feels like Nginx, right? Performs like Nginx or better than Nginx, but comes with all these features that actually help us out, you know, in our stage of the journey that we are in, that we are in and the maturity that we are trying to achieve, you know.
And Rob, if I can turn to you now, um, you said in the pre-show discussion that we had a moment ago that um, containers are the new virtual machines, the new VMs. Um, is it time, uh, in your opinion, that companies got serious about containers and moved them out of the, the testing sandboxes and into production? Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's important for uh, enterprises of all sizes to, to get serious about containers, to think about where they fit alongside their VMs and, and to do so in production. Let, let me give you a little bit of context, right? So every year we do our state of application uh, strategy report. And from that, we know that more than 90% of enterprises are using Kubernetes in production. And you wouldn't use Kubernetes unless you were orchestrating uh, containers at a fairly sizable scale. So if you're part of that 10%, uh, yeah, it's time to get on board. Even if you're part of the 90%, chances are you're maybe only doing in pockets. That's why the next two stats are particularly interesting for me. Uh, GigaOM, the research, the global research company, found that by 2025, containers will surpass virtual machines in terms of uh, capacity within the enterprise. And they actually think that by 2030, uh, there'll be less than VM, virtual machines will be less than 10% of capacity. So this phenomenon is very real. It's something that I think companies need to learn how to operationalize quite quickly. Uh, and the good news is we have lots of patterns to follow, but it's definitely uh, probably top of mind for every customer I talk to. Well, thank you very much for that, Rob. And uh, unfortunately, we're we're kind of getting to the end of our time now. Um, I think in conclusion, really, um, what I'd like to uh, sum up with is that I guess today that APIs, as we know, about 70% of internet traffic, they're dominating, um, as are containers, Kubernetes deployment, service meshes, and of course, the secret source binding it all together, which is Nginx open source software, coupled with Nginx Plus, which, as we've seen, is highly reliable scalable and secure. It's uh, the secure application delivery structure. I think that organizations already deploy, if not, uh, but certainly we'll be giving some serious consideration to. So many thanks again uh, to all three guests. We've got Burzin Engineer um, of PhonePay, Sumit Malhorta, CIO of Times Internet, and of course, Rob Whiteley, General Manager of Nginx uh, for F5. Uh, and so, Thank you all for joining us and I hope to see you all again soon. Bye for now.